Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Tab, Stina, Nima and Ronnie to discuss how do innovation and product management create value for a company. So before we delve deeper into the topic, we'll work our way around the room with some introductions. So Tab, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, thanks for the invitation. Uh, my name is Tau Klitko. I'm currently CEO of a company called Setland. Uh, we are a digital media uh, house. Um, my route into uh, to being a CEO was through product management. Um, I was actually originally educated as a musician at the conservatory, and then I, I, um, I have a degree in, in IT from the IT university. And I've been working within product management now for is it like 15 years, uh, but actually most of the years acting as CEO in different uh, companies, uh, but having my sort of like my um, my my my, uh, my primary focus has been always been around uh, product management. Fantastic. Stina, we'll come to you next. Yeah. Hi. I'm also really happy to be here. I'm Stina. Uh, I am a lead PM at, product, uh, at Labster and also an instructor uh, in product management at a global school called General Assembly. Uh, so at Labster, we focus on creating uh, different 3D virtual science uh, simulations and uh, gamified learning experiences that help STEM uh, students around the world uh, learn different science topics. Uh, so, and then also at General Assembly, our focus is on helping students transfer into the discipline of product management. Uh, so they will learn in a 10 week part-time intro course, all the different skills they need to apply to do the job. Um, prior to that, <clears throat> I was at uh, another uh, Danish startup called Plio, um, working on the onboarding experience and self sign up. And then before that, I was in the US for a number of years, like um, working in different startups in New York. Um, and software companies um, so I'm really excited to be here and yeah that's me. Fantastic cheers Stina. Uh, Neva we'll come to you next. Yeah <clears throat> thank you Daniel for, for having me today and it's it's really exciting to meet you all. Uh, my name is Nima. Um, a long story short I've always been building product um, since I was a kid but then at some point when I was building together with friends uh, we had to figure out how to make money and then, <laughs> then I had to figure out how to actually monetize what we were building and that's what launched me into product management. Um, today I'm the chief product officer at Cochendo. Uh, we are a startup, a venture capitalist funded startup um, who is on a mission to democratize coaching. What this really means is that we're actually working on an AI that will help employees get coaching. Yeah, so it's, it's a very challenging and interesting area that we're in. Uh, before that, uh, I spent some time as product lead at Google. Um, I've been at a startup in Denmark called Humio, where I was the product director uh, until we were re acquired quite recently. Uh, so I've always been roaming around product in different roles, uh, and, and I just love it. Uh, I'm really curious to hear what your other, uh, others here in, the, in this chat today have to contribute to, because as a product manager, you're always learning, right? So. Fantastic. Cheers, Neva. Uh, last but not least, we'll come to you, Ronnie. Hello. Thanks for having me, Dan. Uh, yeah, my name is Ronnie Linder and I work as a CPO uh, for a company called Relevant Digital. We're working with online advertising uh, and more in particular, we are having a reporting systems and systems that can govern your different ads. Uh, so we mostly work with publishers and help them with with that part of their business. And I've been doing that for about 15 years, but I started up in customer support actually, 
uh, and I think that has kind of colored the way I think about product management and innovation in general. So thanks. Fantastic. Cheers, guys. Uh, so now that we've established a bit of context to each of you, we'll move on to the topic in focus. So you all have a question or statement on how do innovation and product management create value for a company? And as usual, I'll work my way around the room each and ask of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. And each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So we'll kick off today's podcast with Stina, if that's OK. Yes. Um, so my two, I have a kind of group of questions are, how do you all define product innovation and what role does product management play with innovation in your experiences? Um, and, and how do you encourage sort of those innovative ways of thinking in the organizations and what processes and tools and mindsets maybe do you use? Um, and as a result, do you think product innovation is easier, hard and why? <clears throat> I, I can go first here um, uh, because first of all, it's it's great to to start really basic because uh, when we when we say product, it's like there's a thousand different opinions about what it is. Um, so I, I think my my point is basically what what is what is uh, what is product? And I think uh, you know I don't care much about definitions, but but I think one one definition might be that that it it is what brings value to the user. Um, and that's of course very, 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 very different. Um, and I think, product management is about um, optimizing uh, that value. Um, then there's all sorts of other things, but but I think that's the core of it. And that, I think that's what travels between different um, uh, different, um, you know, ways of ways of business, basically. Yeah, maybe I can can build on that and I completely agree to how uh, when we have new people starting, the, the first thing we do is we spend a lot of time on explaining, you know, what's the problem we're trying to solve and what are all the other problems we identified within the space? Because it's uh, it's very easy to get distracted and build things that you think are awesome and, and great and exciting, but it needs to be tied to the problem. And, it, you know, it is incredibly hard to build something that users love and works for the business. Like sometimes you succeed at creating something that people really like and love, but it's extremely hard to monetize. Um, so for me, it's like, it's everything is about the problem, emphasizing with the problem, understanding it. And then, you know, the product management is, is the art of trying to translate that, that problem into a potential solution. And that's also where you create the, the, the value generation is, is greater, right? And uh, I think that we are constantly in a competition for coming up with better ways of solving problems. Uh, and that requires, you know, a lot of managing, like just managing the users, the business, the engineering, everything. And that's really where I see product management uh, coming in. Like it's this this weird and amb ambiguous role that is just necessary for for things to move forward. Um, so I've never come up with a a good definition, um, but uh, but I do think you know for us it's really about the problem, really focusing on that, understanding it, making sure that we we know what's missing. Uh, and then if we solve it, come up with a way that we can solve it, you know, way more efficient and, and way better than, than the way it's solved today. Um, that is very challenging, at least for me. Yeah. And then when the products happen, I think often you look back and go, but that, that was such an easy product. Like, of course, that was such an easy, it's like a confirmation bias or hindsight bias where you're like, yeah, well, of course. And then you think of how incredibly hard it is to design like such a simple foolproof solution for a problem that's always changing um 
yeah, it's like, make it look easy. <laughs> but that might also be why it's like we, we, we start very, very high level here because we are defining product and it is, you know, non-product managers listening to this will just immediately call bullshit and say fluffy, uh, but it is very fluffy, right? I mean, we have to think, uh, you know, it is, it is, it is hard to to uh, define. I, I was thinking about, you know, what, what are some, because there's no doubt that this is hard. If it was easy, then we wouldn't be, <laughs> we wouldn't be here. Um, but I think like innovative, innovative ways of thinking, like trying to, how do, how do, how do we actually try to propagate this, this way of thinking? I, I think for, for me uh, here working with primarily with journalists, I think there's, there are three things uh, that I'm trying to do here uh, that is that are related to 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 product management and um, and I think I mean they're they're very basic but I think at least the the last one is is interesting the first one is is customer first always customer first that's what you say Nima um, you would be surprised working with journalists that they're not thinking that way uh, I was very surprised uh, so so that's a big thing for me here because they have to think uh, not they have to think what is it actually that that the customer wants um, then the second thing is is uh, no silos. Again, I'm in in a very very old industry that uh, was uh, that has a a really strong history of building silos between uh, distribution and content. And I'm really trying to do everything I can to break down those silos because they they are sort of like inherent in in our organization. And then the last thing is feedback and uh, trying to work very very um, consciously about always uh, creating uh, feedback within the organization and also creating feedback um, you know outside of the organization with the customers and 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 you know we there, there's a long uh, chat just about just about that but but um, but I think it's 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 really one of the, the ways where where you can make product management uh, work so I think those are the three uh, main points that I'm trying to work with to uh, to propagate uh, product. I can add a little bit on that, like, uh, and actually, Tao, uh, I think you've been very successful in, in innovating in the, the publishing industry. Uh, just to give an example, when, when I first heard about Zetland, the, the problem I faced was that every news article I wrote was pretty much, pretty much you know, about a story. It could be like changing the bus roads in, in, this, in the city center. But then I, I always went to Zetland when I wanted the story behind the story. Right, like I, did, I didn't want to read the exact same thing that I could read everywhere. This is where they actually went above and beyond to figure out what was going on behind the scenes. And that's just one of many examples. And the distribution mechanism, the formats that you played around with, not only just the technology, but also the way that the journalist wrote was, was very innovative. And I still think is. Uh, so I think you were succeeding in that area quite well. Um, one thing that uh, I really liked, Stina, about your question was uh, the stuff around mindset. Um, one of the things I learned very early was that uh, we almost always failed when we celebrated launches. Um, so so we, we started experimenting with this concept of celebrating landings and not launches. And, and what I mean by that, and it might be obvious to everyone in the call, but just if there's someone listening is, I, I don't celebrate that we uh, redid the entire onboarding flow or the payment checkout, you know, and I'm very deliberate telling the team that we shouldn't be celebrating that. I celebrate when I see that the business goals tied to that project or initiative is succeeding uh, because that creates like a mindset of 
continuously thinking about, did we actually achieve what we set out to do? I don't know if you have experienced the same thing or if you're doing the same, but I'm curious to hear how you how you go about that because everyone in this call is essentially in whether it's features or initiatives, launching things. Yeah, I can add a little. I think the the words customers and users and the language that we use around who is actually going to help us achieve the goal also matter like that get, we often have to clarify a lot because you know is the customer the buyer the customer the person who uses it so i think even the fact that we all use different words to communicate around the goal is is sort of something i i think about um and I think that the change of the mindset is hard. Changing behaviors is, is hard. Changing a product behavior is hard. And then when you apply it to a business, that scaling is even harder. And I think it kind of really ties to having that clear product strategy that can connect the company strategy back to sort of the, this is the how we're going to approach it so that we can always reference this map back to like, are we still setting out to achieve our goals in a way that is sort of the direction? Like if I take a vacation, maybe I'm going to go to Italy. I can have a million different ways I could get to Italy. I could hitchhike, I could fly, I could drive. And that all matters because right away we have a different way of trying to solve the problem of like, I'm trying to enjoy myself going to Italy. Um, and so I think really it takes a lot of focus and it's actually not the focusing that is hard originally, like setting the strategy is not hard. It's continuing to go back to refocusing, to build the muscle of refocusing, to stop and say, we're doing it again and we're not going to do this thing again because we want to do a different result. I think that is really where creativity comes into innovation. You have to see a different way of doing things than everyone else. And you have to believe that that, that way Maybe people can't see it right now, but you see it. And that energy has to be enough to carry like the company and the product energy, I think sometimes and like how you communicate. Ronnie, do you want to jump in with anything? Yeah, if I can just be connect to what Nima said earlier about the whole uh, product solving thing. It's, it's it, I work after, you know, with, with a very similar approach that I feel that like if it's if it's not solving a problem, then then you should really consider if you should do it. And and um, of course, there's also this there's always this visionary side of product management. Also, I think the innovation part where you need to step outside, you know, just the problem solving, um, and not just listen to feedback from clients or from your coworkers, but but actually try to be a little bit visionary. But to some extent, it always ties back to solving a problem, and and I guess that's what I wanted to say initially with me coming from a customer support situation. Uh, it, it's just something that I always been doing, like solving the problems, and I think that transferred really well into 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 my work on a day to day basis. Um, and then I think, in general, it's extremely important to work with your team to to understand that you you're you're not the source of the innovation. It's a it's a collaborative thing, right? There needs to be a good energy, and you need to be able to communicate, setting up that team. Uh, that where you can actually spar and build ideas together and be visionary together, that's that's also extremely important because, especially when when you kind of move into this visionary part, uh, there needs to be a certain amount of maybe trust and and openness. Uh, you need to be able to to uh, shoot each other's ideas down. It's like it, it's funny that you mentioned that you play play music. Tao, I, I used to play in a band. 
uh, when I was a kid. And it's kind of the same thing. You, you need to have a good atmosphere. You need to be able to be open, critical, and, and say what you really mean. Uh, otherwise, you can just, like, like Nima said, you can go off in a in direction that, that isn't helpful and you start waiting resources. So that, that wasn't such a short answer, but there you go. <laughs> no, that's amazing. That's a, a great way to kick off the podcast today. Uh, we'll move on slightly to Tao, if that's okay. Sure. Um, so I, so my, my subtopic, uh, the context is, is my, you know, uh, daily work. Now I, I, I used to work for probably like almost 10 years in software, um, in, in, in the SAS, in SAS companies and and then when I I um, I joined Setland, I joined an organization that was very much uh, trying to do something new in 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 a in a age-old industry, uh, with very very particularly defined ways of doing things and and a full educational system that was set up to do basically what we had been doing for a hundred years and and. And at that point, there was no doubt that that was not good enough. That was not, you know, the the industry was was in in crisis. So one of the things that I set out to do was to to try and see if we could if we could leverage what I had learned uh, uh, within SAS and try and see if we could build a media company that was that that looked upon itself as if it were uh, uh, basically a tech startup. And 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 one of the the elements of that is trying to introduce uh, product thinking or design thinking in in journalism. Um, now that that has turned out to be quite hard, and uh, it's still a challenge here, like six years later. Um, and and that's because I, I think that like my <clears throat> my experience is that when you're building software, when you're building like tech products, you sort of like have a very um, you you have a you 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 have you have a way of doing planning and like trying to foresee you know what you know trying to really learn what is it that the customer wants and needs and then build that thing and then you know three months later here you go customer here is the product whereas in journalism we we are not really um, you know every day is a new day and we don't know what happened and we have to react on that every day and we in that sense we of course build the product uh, each day. And so my question was basically, um, I have I have uh, done a lot of things very wrong. <laughs> I've tried a lot of things to take. Uh, at, at at some point, I was trying to introduce Scrum for journalists, and that failed pretty heavily. Um, but I, I was just curious whether you guys had any like experiences in in how how what what is it actually about product thinking that is that 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 maybe travels best into other industries yeah i can yeah i think yeah sorry go, go ahead ronnie <laughs> yeah no again i think one of the things that that it's, it's basically what nima said initially it's like the problem solving aspect I, I think that that needs to be in in every industry like that that's such an important key that because it it, it needs to solve a problem in order to have a some kind of relevance, I think, and and that doesn't just tie to IT. It goes it goes into journalism and everything. I think. I, a lot of my initial career was spent in media, um, usually working on the website part of like older maybe industry publications who were like, yeah, the internet, but like TV or magazines, those are still the thing. So it's trying to shift a mindset also culturally internally that like 
for something innovative in a way that now we look at and say, that's not innovative. Everyone has a website. But at the time it was like, no, these things are, the way of storytelling is the way of storytelling and this is not going to change. So I think a lot of it is very cultural um, in that transformation and having someone in, in that leadership capacity who, you know, you talked about like scrum and trying to implement, a lot of those are processes, but what you need is the philosophy, like the philosophy behind Toyota when they started working in agile, like is much different. And a lot of people, I think, try to apply those, those, those processes, but um, really embodying like that customer centric piece. And, and I think particularly with journalism, like things are so reactive and your storytelling is, is about something that is, needs to be a public interest and you are the one that has been told that you know what's a public interest so you don't want a product team telling you like what is going to be a public interest maybe um so i think finding that common common connection with the customer uh that that and and also using data in a way that you know at the end of the day like media cares about a lot of those those metrics that move number of viewers number so finding a way to connect both of those back to to the end user and and speed <laughs> um, because I think it's also just managing expectations like we want that template we can't have it tomorrow like uh, the, the the development time which uh, yeah is is another one I think is um, but I would say it's really the cultural mindset shift and then uniting around the the user and the customer as much as you can um, so that you're on the same side. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe I should just give a little bit. Uh, I'll tell you what what I tried to do when I tried to introduce like agile, uh, because I thought, okay, let let's try and see how this will actually work. And I got complete buy-in from sort of like the editorial management. Um, and then we started doing. So we thought, okay, let's let's start with sort of like the 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 the, the, the processes and figure out, okay, what what is what is the daily stand up? What is the planning session? And what's what's the retrospective? Um, and we we quite quickly found out that the planning sessions they were very awkward because I I'm used to as a product owner I come in and say, okay, team, uh, I'm the customer. I would like to get these um, you know these outcomes. And you now have a sprint, you know, four weeks, you can deliver that. And so what the product owner, which in this case then was the editors, they would come and say, okay, team, I would like two interviews, uh, three, <laughs> three background articles. And that was totally, it made no sense because then it was like, well, so why would you want two interviews? That doesn't like, that depends on whether there's an interesting person to interview. Uh, so, so actually the, 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 the planning, session was completely like it was very very strange because then the, the goals of the team were to do two interviews or three interviews and that did not make any sense um however you know the 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 daily stand-ups which at that point it's like a couple of years ago was was a novel thing like back back then the the whole editorial team would be in one half circle with the editor-in-chief in the middle and so those like daily stand-ups with no more than six, seven uh, people, we're still doing that. And that was a huge success. People were starting to think, okay, maybe we can actually work more together as a team. Uh, and then the, the retrospectives is something that we're still working on uh, because that ties down to the whole feedback uh, structure. And we're trying to, uh, because we, we don't want feedback from only your, your small, like six, seven person team. We want feedback from the entire organization because uh, because the teams are made up only by uh, editorial uh, 
people. So so we also want the the developers to to be giving the feedback. So we're still trying to figure out how to how to do the retrospectives in a in a in a in a in a constructive matter because there's no doubt that that they are important. It, it's it's important to to have that you know close that door and say okay now it's feedback time um, and and it's constructive feedback and here's some rules. Um, yeah, but but I think the the plannings were especially awkward and and hard because what is actually the product it's it's very hard to look three weeks into the or six weeks into the future and say this is the product that the customer needs it's it's yeah it sounds like there is a, it's both a mix of art and science right and and that makes it ambiguous to actually implement processes on top of um i think one thing is as i mentioned earlier and it's really not to flatter you but i think Sedan has been just so good at being that change in the industry and a lot of the things that you've done are very innovative and and i think you can clearly see how it impacted and influenced the other media companies in denmark as well and maybe even beyond that i'm, I'm not aware but uh you know i asked myself if, if i weren't a pm I, i'd probably be a journalist uh, so i think and the reason why is like you know journalists are extremely good at understanding people and problems and context which are some of the traits that are you know essential for being a, a good pm at least i believe so but that's just maybe another conversation and um i i think of places where i've been in my career where it's been, you know, this is the way we've been working. This is the way everything has been done. And, and you know, you're up against something structural and something, you know, there's strong legacy processes in place. And uh, I don't know what the solution it is. It's a very hard thing to solve and culture is such a big part of it. But one thing that I've noticed that always seems to help in that process is those grassroots projects that those bottom-up initiatives, allowing them, giving them oxygen. It's like the meetings where people come in, uh, but they're coming out of passion, not out of you know necessity. It's not mandatory, uh, because there will be people who are really you know committed to innovating and coming up with new ways of doing things and going a little bit above and beyond in, in that area. That doesn't mean that people doesn't do it, aren't doing more or better work, and giving them a space sometimes you know creates that trajectory of energy that you can canalize towards innovation. And so you you kind of need some room for that. So uh, at Google, we had 20% projects. Um, at other companies, you do hacking weeks. Uh, I think what I've seen is just when you create that space, and it's not the perfect solution at all, it kind of empowers that that transition. Um, and then the other thing, I think, I think news is so misunderstood because when I think about articles from Setland, you know, you publish something, then I read about it on Reddit, where there's probably 100 or 200 comments from users asking questions, examining what you wrote, uh, you know, almost, you know, being like, how did they overlook this? Or look at this path or this argument. So there is like a huge opportunity for this iterative process that you're also talking about externally, internally, when an article is not just an article, it's a living, breathing thing that can evolve um and and there's people out there who's very passionate about it evolving as well um so yeah i can completely relate to being in a situation where change is hard but i think journalists are they have like the start package of being great PMs. yeah and that's it's great it's actually a great day. I, i remember when we started setland i i wanted the the articles to uh, to live on github um we didn't succeed <laughs> we didn't get that going because there were some like like legal stuff that you know we an article has to be done when it's done so but but i wanted it to live on github um we're still trying to work like that 
Fantastic. Cheers, guys. Uh, so next we will come on to Ronnie. Yeah, absolutely. Two seconds. So I just wanted to ask you guys a little bit about how you build your teams. Um, because in, in my experience, it, I work with different types of teams and different types of setups. Um, and I guess right now I'm trying to build, and this is of course within IT, uh, a smaller team with more experienced and more maybe qualitative uh, developers that obviously then cost a bit more money as well. Um, and that that's just sometimes a little bit hard, uh, I think, to to get everybody to understand in the organization. Uh, and I think, yeah, so so if you just wanted to hear if you had any experience with, with how, how you build your team and, and how you maybe put forward the value to the rest of the organization. Uh, yeah. yeah let, let me begin here because I've, I've always already talked a bit about that. Uh, as I mentioned, I, my, my primary uh, idea is to break down the silos. Um, and that means uh, also creating smaller groups. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's very obvious, I think, to 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 product people. But within media, it's like it's it's a strange thing to do to create smaller groups that are sort of like self that, that can deliver end to end results. Um, and so, I, I I'm trying to to uh, to first of all create those smaller groups, and then always to try and make people uh, create ad hoc groups. Um, and so. I, I've adopted the 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 role of an informed captain. I forgot. Maybe it's from Netflix, or maybe some of you. Remember. Okay, I don't know. But 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 the role of being an informed captain means that there is no leader, uh, but everybody can be the leader when there is a project that they feel specially invested in, and that's something we use here at Setland. So so we'll 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 say when when somebody brings up an issue or an idea or something, we'll, we can be quite fast to say, okay, that's great. You are now the informed captain. You know everything about this. You know what the, the, the customer wants. You know what, what our internal uh, you know, processes and, and um, resources are. Uh, you don't have to, uh, you, you, can, you can make decisions. The only rule is that, that you have to involve, you have to ask all the stakeholders. And the, the, the bigger a project is, the more stakeholders you need to ask. And so if it's something, if you want to change Setland's pricing, you definitely have to ask me uh, because I, I am definitely a stakeholder and it's a very important decision. So you have to ask me. But in reality, you could actually make this decision. You could make yourself the informed captain. It would just require that you would really think through who are the main stakeholders and, and ask for their advice. And then sometimes, and that happens very, very rarely, you can actually you can there's a veto veto rule right so i can go in and say you cannot change our pricing even though you think so but i have to you know i have to to uh, to to be involved or, or to to decide on that but but it almost never happens what happens is that people really you know uh, rise to the occasion and say okay well now i'm actually it might be that i'm junior customer support but now i'm actually the informed captain because it's in my job that this is uh, important and I think that that works very very well. It's it's not easy because you have to define pretty clearly what is it, what is an informed captain. Uh, but I think also just the the um, the wording of it, it it sounds cool. I mean everybody wants to be a captain and 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 but then you also have to be informed, right? You have to know stuff. Um, so that that works uh, that that works uh, great. Um, 
I think the challenges here is is related to what I, what I said before that the editorial team at Setland is 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 a little bit special because they work under different uh, ethics. Um, they work. They have different planning um, routines. Um, I think so. So that's that's the challenge of always trying to combine the editorial team with with uh, what we call the engagement team, which is basically the marketing team, and then the 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 engineering team. Um, so trying to mix those teams is hard because of the editorial team and because they work in a different way and because they build their product every single day. There's no there's it's it's quite hard to 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 learn from uh, from previous products because they will think well every new product is is radically new and is it is it it's its own uh, product but we are definitely trying to to make them also learn that that uh, that you know always be learning about <laughs> you know past results go back to to former projects um, you know uh, if something failed don't don't just leave it behind go back to it and try to learn uh, why it uh, it failed so so i think that's that's some challenges and and one one way that we are trying to solve it with this uh, informed captain role that i really um, like in in past lives we've had a similar role um the company that I worked at, he was a former Googler, and I swear that culture has a very contagious. Uh, the it was a company of around four or five hundred people, and we still moved so fast. Um, and it forever changed my mind that it's about the number of people. It's not. It's about the, the your culture is basically your internal team product. Um, it's your company as a product. Uh, and I wish that there were we had an easy solution to 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 approach product development. Uh, in a company that you do the same way when you build a, a software product, like if you could treat the product that way. Um, but it, uh, at Lapster, we have a sort of an organizational, like sort of operating uh, way of working called Holacracy. So it's a decentralized uh, management structure, essentially, um, where leadership roles aren't really subject to a kind of a traditional hierarchy of command. And so we don't all have static job descriptions. Instead, we sort of have multiple roles with domains, responsibilities, and accountabilities. And we can self-govern and, you know, sense tensions and say, hey, I think, you know, the marketing website's going to need more updating. And, and then we look in and see, is there a role that's responsible now for doing that in that domain? And then we can actually suggest, um, and now this in any governing body is predicated on people connecting the dots in some way. So as you scale, it can be harder because that naturally in the, in the scale of people, like there were groups of people that need to be managed and leaders. And so that those tensions exist, no matter if you have holacracy or not. Um, but it has been a way to allow people to really get involved in those project areas and start to identify, like, is this within the domain? Um, and, and then kind of going back to the original example, one thing that really worked in in a past company was that same kind of captain idea, but it was DRI. So it's the directly responsible individual. And this person was someone that in every meeting was the DRI and you represented to avoid the silos, like marketing had a DRI in the meeting, sales had a DRI, but you communicated. And there was also this concept called Kuba. Do you know, K, understand, you believe, B, before you act. And if you were to go to another DRI in a team, you would have to ask if they came unprepared to a meeting, you would say, well, did someone Kuba that person? Um, and they don't have to believe in order to act, but they do need to know and understand in advance before. 
Um, and that just created more efficiency in the meetings. Also very similar to Ray Dalio's responsible party, if you've ever read Principles, um, the idea of RP at Bridgewater. Um, <clears throat> but I think having that accountability very explicit, um, and that was also tied to the values of the company, you could disagree and commit, that was a value. So that fostered this sense of innovation because you don't have to like what you're gonna do and you can agree with someone else's decision, like not agree with it, but you can also decide, okay, for the better of the good, we're gonna move forward. Um, so I think those are some organizational ways I've seen. Stina, can I, can I ask about the Kuba? Yeah. So when 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 in a, a product uh, design or whatever planning uh, session, would you then make sure that everybody was Kuba? Like, so what what can happen? I, I is is that maybe you have the product owner or the phone captain, and she says, okay, well we are building this product, and you know, team marketing, go figure what what you do with that. But then then the problem is that if team marketing is not Kuba, well yeah. then they will fail. Yes, and that was very clear. So what that did was distribute the accountability on the decision-making to not just the person who showed up and was gonna be able to do the thing, but also the person who was responsible for kind of showcasing the idea. So it became a shared responsibility in the meeting where if someone was not aligned, you could tell in the first question that you asked wasn't like, what other questions? You didn't derail the meeting, but you'd say, has this person been Kuba'd? And then the action immediately was on the DRI because you already had that person identified to go talk to the people or figure out the groups. Um, and it was also assumed you had to know in advance of attending a meeting because you it, it created accountability for the meeting, right? Like if I'm DRI and I don't know what I'm supposed to be talking about in that meeting, I've just wasted a lot of unnecessary time and money and like, you know, things to the company. Um, so it created this very uh, subtle collective accountability without actually really needing to do much besides just... <laughs> point the finger in advance and kind of tell people this is the art of the gathering kind of. Um, yeah, uh, so that's that's kind of, those would be my, so thank you, Mike, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, Ronnie, I'd love to know about, uh, you know, some of the challenges that, that uh, you are facing, just to elaborate a little bit more. Yeah, I guess it's, um... Well, I guess what it all boils down to that for us, like I said, I've always been very cooperative when we when we develop and where we work. Um, so for me, it's it's important that I can be very hands off. You know, I go into a meeting, we decide something, I maybe do a mock-up. Sometimes I don't even do that. And then the developer starts working with it. We have daily sessions where we talk about stuff. Um, but but I really try to stay out of, of the details as much as possible because I, I think it's important that our developers have the freedom to be creative uh, and uh, very often they have better ideas than, than I do. Um, so yeah, it's like maybe tying back to the old Plato, you know, where you, you have a discussion and then you reach a higher conclusion, uh, that kind of approach to it. Um, but that requires, of course, the people who are who are willing and like to work that way, who are maybe not need to have all their things, uh, you know, written down on paper exactly all the time uh, before them, to, you know, to take the next step. It requires people who have maybe a little bit of experience, who have some confidence, who are willing to go out on a limb, uh, and and to be creative. And and that's that's not to like uh, say anything bad about people. It's but it's it's more natural for some people, I think, or it comes more easy to to some people. 
Um, in my experience, when it comes to developers, uh, to find those, they can be quite quite expensive uh, because they are they're sought after, right? Uh, and especially when it comes to to IT development, I think you can. It's better to have few qualified developers than to have a large team of developers uh, because you get. I, I think you get tighter code and better code, and it's just yeah, it just improves the whole maintenance cycle. Uh, long term, uh, but that can all that can also be hard to sell internally in a company if if the rest of the company don't have that kind of experience and and share the same visions. You know, uh, sometimes I always like to distinguish between acceptance and tolerance. You know, a vision can often be be tolerated. Uh, it works as long as it goes well, uh, but for it to be really accepted, to to have the whole company buying in on that and really believing in it and not questioning it, that's that's a different story. And and um, I, I guess that that was the that's why I asked the question. Like, uh, yeah, if 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 you have problems setting your own team internally in the organization because because of resource costs and and the communication towards the rest of the organization to build to build what you want, I guess. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure if there was a question in there. I'm just no, that's no, one of the challenges. Uh, yeah. Not think, at all. Thank you for elaborating. Yeah. I think one thing that struck me in similar also when we talked about like you know, um Nima, you said you would be a journalist or that there was the art and the science and also Ronnie, this idea of people is that not everyone can be innovative. Just like not everyone can be creative because everyone can be creative, but we often forget how to do it because it requires looking at the world with, with sort of beginner's eyes. So I think the, the best thing that you can do is get people as quickly in that psychologically safe environment that they feel that they can fail um, and that they feel they can get into the flow very quickly, whatever the rituals that you create to allow you to do that. But, you know, there's very rarely, that's why you have ideas in the shower. You know, it's when you're in these free flow states and, and those can be trained over time, you go for a walk. I'm sure we all have our, our little areas where we go with the notebook because this is our area that we know. Finding ways to get your team to operate that way in a repeated cycle, if it's the 20% blackout time, I also have worked in areas where we have the 80-20 split on projects that those that's just my time to innovate. But as a leader, I think creating that space for the team to, to say, okay, I can innovate in this space. And it's not expected that I innovate. It's not that I'm not going to be measured on deliverable. And then also hiring really great people. I can, cannot underemphasize. I know we're all great in our own ways, but like sometimes we can look aspirationally at a lot of like the bigger tech companies and they are ruthless in how they hire because they are looking for a very specific type of person with high agency who has the ability to, to do that innovation. So I think it's also taking a step back and being honest with like, if we continue to hire people based on like, because we need to fill because of the sense of urgency, because they're too expensive, then that innovation is also the trade-off we make in maintaining some of those conversations. Um, and, and really thinking that like the way we set up the company and that people strategy and our operating strategy directly connect to the kind of product that we will empower to be built. Um, yeah. And so yeah. like think as I, much as I, possible, I, I, like go, go, draw go do some things that are going to bring out that free-flowing space if you're an engineer you want to like come up with a whole new like go create as much of that space to allow people to like reconnect to play as possible and that i think is where the innovation happens <laughs> like um it's a great point yeah i completely 
agree with you, Stina. It's it's very very important that you don't you know put put crunch in and, and things like that and give people space and and secure a secure frame to work in. Certainly, I can only say yes to that as well. But but yeah. there's there's a there's a there's more than time, right? You're saying there is also like space, but there's also vision, uh, because because without a vision, you know then then you know what what will people innovate so so i think th that's the beauty of of um, of like being being a product manager ceo it's because now it's, it's my responsibility to really just massage the vision in every time uh, i open my mouth it's something that i'm still trying to learn how to do even better uh, because you know if if the mission is clear uh, and the vision is clear well then people will find space to uh, to innovate yeah, but they will. I think there's also a contagious energy in being visionary. Like there's uh, another, I think a PM from Stripe, Shriyas Doshi, who I follow a lot, but he has like these ideas of who the three types of, of PM leaders are. There's like the visionary, the craftsperson and the operator. And it's, it's very rare that you can find someone that is all three, but the visionary is often the person that can be like an early founder of a startup that like sees the thing that people can't see. Well, of course you did because you started a company that was built on solving a problem that doesn't exist in the market right now. Um, so like that by default makes you a visionary in some way. So finding ways to operationalize that in the company, I think to create that catalyst of like a lot of people join early stage startups because of the founder. A lot of people give money to founders, not because the company solution is solid, but because they believe in the founder. The founder is going to be the person that's going to see it through. And I think that a lot of like companies like really underestimate the power and energy and how contagious just having sometimes that person in the room to motivate you uh, or like in past lives, we also used to have like heads of product come in from other companies um, to just talk to the PM team for like an hour. And we could just have that person as maybe their team was solving a problem that was totally different from how we were solving, but it created that innovation space of like, oh, you're doing this thing over here. And like, it just allowed the dots to connect in new ways. So I think I would encourage everyone also like utilize that like, it's really easy, I think, to forget when you start a company that you have that that's just contagious by default, like use that more in the company <laughs> um, to motivate people behind why you're doing what you're doing. I don't think you even have to say much. I think sometimes your presence is just enough to be like, wow, this person is a living representation of, of why I'm here and why I should care about this cause because they care so much about it. I mean, that creates a flow state like. <laughs> It, uh, it really does. And Stina, I love what you said before around the psychological safety, um, because a lot of times, you know, it's, it's um, intriguing to think that someone would find a problem and then solve it brilliantly. But usually it's a team sport. Uh, someone identifies a problem and then it goes through, you know, various hands before it actually lands and become a product. And I think one of the things that, that we're really cautious of is the fact that, um, and that's why we're not celebrating celebrating launches, is like imagine you're launching a new website, completely new brand. Uh, you know, do people have the space where they can say, I think the new website sucks on mobile for X, Y, Z reason, while everyone is celebrating? Like, do they feel comfortable sharing that? Because that's really crucial feedback in the moment. And, and that person might not know what is required to make it responsive or work or whatever it is that re is required to solve this it might be an engineering as ronnie mentioned an engineering task of figuring out the creativity involved so i think there's like two sides of it one is to make sure that people feel comfortable sharing it uh, and then the other side that I've, I've 
find challenging is um, to create an environment where people can give themselves permission to become these captains, informed captains that were discussed, to become the owners or whatever we want to call them, because we all have our roles and responsibilities and we all want to make sure we, we comply to them and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, make people feel comfortable with actually saying, you know, I feel like I can take ownership here and I want to give myself permission to go above what is expected for me. Um, and Ronnie, as you were speaking, you know, I was thinking a lot about three things that we we can, we are all ex-Googlers in, in our startup right now and, and three things that we kind of stole or brought with us uh, is like the values there were very core. There were three values and they were, you know, respect the user, respect the opportunity and respect each other. So in all of our teams, those value are at the core. We tell it when we hire people, recruit people, because you will often find yourself in situations that arguments between departments or whatever it might be. And it's important that you can actually say, listen, we need to respect the opportunity here, right? And, and while doing so, we have to respect each other. So it really enforces everyone to come into this mindset. And the same thing with the user, because we just found time and time again, when, when we kind of, uh, when we have like, I really strongly believe in those three values that the output is and the outcome is, is usually much better than uh, when we don't. Um, and that's again, more science than art because two people can say, one can say respect the opportunity, the other one can say respect the user and there you have the conflict. Uh, but it needs to be there, the discussion every time. And it needs to be based on data to the extent possible. Uh, and that's how we kind of wrangle ourselves out of these challenges that we sometimes have when they're conflicting. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. And I think that's why we have like these discussions every day uh, in the development team. We, we spend a lot of time talking actually, <laughs> um, but, but I think it's really good. And, and we haven't like cut it out in stone like you have, but it's, it's pretty much the same thing, right? And, and I would say me as a product owner, I think it's very, very, very seldom that it's just my vision that gets like, put into the product it's 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 almost like 99 percent it's uh, something from a developer or a customer uh, mixed in with with what i had an idea and gets transformed into to something new because of like the, like what you mentioned uh user opportunity and and just experience and things like that so it sounds like we're doing it quite quite similar actually yeah i think we only have one question left right I'm just thinking about the time. Yeah, so we'll quickly move on to Nima to finish the podcast off today, if that's okay. Sure. Just a moment. Um, so my questions are, and you can just pick the ones that you find most interesting to answer. Um, I'd love to hear how you work with customers or users, even if they're the same, uh, and what you find challenging when you introduce new things, because I think we're all innovating in our areas. And then the last thing, if, if you don't like any of the two questions above, I'd love to hear you kind of share a success story and what you learned along the way, um, whether it's an initiative or a feature or whatever it might be, um, because I think you, everyone in this call has, has done some, some pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, I can, I think the first thing I think about is, um, one thing I find challenging is that most, if most customers are probably not gonna spot the new problem that they don't realize they have yet. I think that's the most challenging thing is remaining true to what that intuition and that guiding sort of PM voice inside is saying, no, this is the right direction. No, this is the right direction. Despite you maybe feeling or sensing from the market maybe that they don't understand it. Um, and, and really 
staying staying that route um, and and then kind of softening the types of insights that you're looking for to go more broad to to make it about sort of the general area of the problem that you're solving, not just um, and being okay with that because I think there is a tendency when you have business needs or challenges or depending that you want to also get some sort of quick wins for momentum or to build up sort of confidence because this is not just about solving the problem, it helps keep you going as a team to say, yes, we're on the right track. So I think finding ways to kind of balance even internally sort of those highs and lows that that are so common with innovation of like, you're not gonna see the return maybe for, for a little while and that's okay. I think that can be quite challenging and lonely sometimes, you know, it's to be the only one in the room who sees the idea and have to be like so passionate about it that you're like, I know all of you don't see this problem and the solution I've just proposed, but we're gonna get there. Um, and then saving some energy to reserve when you finally all do get there to celebrate the landing, as you say, Nima, <laughs> like, um, I think that can be quite challenging, but also it makes it worth it. Yeah. That's great. Uh, this is a great uh, question. We could probably have spent a, uh, an hour just discussing this. Uh, I will say quickly, um, it, again, Setland is a special product because we have such a you know we have so much attention from our customers every single day that's that's basically why they come to us to fill their attention uh, and that means <clears throat> that we have a a, 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 a very very uh, big and good opportunity to to always be reaching out and asking you know what would you want to do and and we're really trying to do that um it's it's quite basic it's just about we we, we always ask you know what do you what do you miss uh, what do you think we should write about um we're thinking about this do you know someone or do you have a special something and you can just if you know sign up to 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 be in the archive and then we'll call you if if we're up to to something that re relates to that um and and that's of course to to actually get the input from the customers but it's also also to show all the other customers that are not doing it because obviously it's 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 a uh, it's a fraction that actually does it, but but actually tell them that this is an open community. This is not. <clears throat> this is this is actually customer focused, and we are not um, we are not um, uh, TV presenters talking to you about how the world is. We we are working with you to figure out how how the world uh, is 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 made up. Uh, so 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 we we are always reaching out. Um, I think the most. And we have we have sort of like we have created a toolbox with I think like ten different things that we can do, and it's 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 everything from just asking you know what do you think we should write about, to actually having um, some something like uh, open board meeting. So every time we have had a, a real board meeting, I will have a, a member uh, an open board meeting for all our customers because really they they should uh, be deciding, and that's it's it's quite funny. It's not always everything we can share but but actually mostly we, we share everything um we also do like uh we invite the customers to be editors on specific stories um so so we have created this uh, toolbox and it's something that we we think a lot about every week we actually have a a, a part-time person only thinking about that how to actually involve uh, the customers more i think the main challenge when we launch new things is two very basic things that i guess you all recognize I hope you do. Uh, the first one is cycling back to things, uh, to to previous projects that you were that you that were hot uh, six months ago, and then they sort of like dwindled, and now they're not so hot. And of course, you need to circle back to those 
to to either learn or to kill them or to deprecate or to whatever. Um, so that's that's one thing I think is very challenging. And the other thing is forgetting our biases. Um, so so being clear about all the biases uh, that that uh, that we have uh, when we think about new pro uh, uh, products. Um, yeah, it's in, in short, that's it. Fantastic. So we'll leave it there for today. Um, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Nima, Ronnie, Stina and Tao for providing their insights into the topic. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at daniel.mychek at evolution-nordics.com. We'll see you next time. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Cheers. Have fun, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.